Good evening, everybody, and welcome to the Church of Grace. My name is Patrick Hayes. Today is Friday, January 13th, and we are in the book of Jonah, part three. So let's have a word of prayer, and we will jump in. Lord, you are, you are amazing. You are kind. You are merciful. You're the one with all the wisdom and the knowledge. God, you are the one with all the strength and the power. God, you are so gracious and long-suffering towards us, and we are grateful for that. God, you are our creator and our savior. Lord, you're the one that we can cast our cares upon. You are our provider. Uh, you're the great physician. Lord, you are our father, and we are so grateful that we can come to you in prayer and that you hear us, Lord. And 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 Lord, at best, we are uh, sinners. Uh, we want to ask that you would please just forgive us for our shortcomings and our failures throughout the week. Lord, we want to just be close to you and have a right relationship with you and have nothing in the way right now. And we'd ask you to forgive us of any any sin, any shortcoming in our life that might be in the way of us being close to you and and hearing you and and uh, and you, you know you speaking to us. God, I want to just uh, thank you for this church building we can be in want to thank you for uh, bringing us all together to read the Bible. We are grateful. God, uh, thank you that we still live in America. We're in a country where, you know, Lord, we can still get together and read the Bible freely. We can pray to you. We can sing songs about you. We're, Lord, we, we have it so good here, and we just want to say thank you for that. Uh, God, I want to thank you for clean water. I want to thank you for a place that has heat in the cold days. Uh, Lord, we're grateful for all of it. And God, please speak to us tonight. I'm excited about tonight's message. I told my wife that uh, today, just, you know, getting ready for this over the course of the last, you know, today and the last couple, uh, couple of days. Um, there's just so much neat stuff in the first chapter of Jonah, and I'm so excited about it. So, God, please make everyone else excited about it, you know, because that just feels better. Um, please to us. Somehow, Lord, remind us that you're with us, that you love us, you know what we're going through. Uh, please help us, whether we had a good week or a tough week, whether we had a sad week or a happy week. Lord, please speak to us in some special way and help us to get whatever we're going through, whatever questions we have, please answer them. Love you, and in Christ's name we pray. Amen. All right. <clears throat> so you got to take a cue from your daughters. Just come on. Yeah, just go for it, man. Come on in. You're, that's fine. <clears throat> All right, Jonah part three. Now, we went over Jonah. We went over the background. Then we did verses one, two, and three uh, last week. And we are in Jonah verse four. So we're going to read a couple of verses just as a refresher. So let's read Jonah verses, oh, we'll say one to 10. We'll jump in on verse four and we'll, uh, we'll, go, we'll go from there. So uh, Jonah chapter one, now the word of the Lord came on to Jonah, the son of Amittai saying, arise, go to Nineveh, that great city and cry against it for their wickedness has come up before me. Nineveh is the capital of what country? Assyria. Very good. Different from Syria. Verse three, but Jonah rose up to flee onto Tarshish the presence of the Lord. And he went down to Joppa and he found a ship going to Tarshish. 
So he paid the fare thereof and went down into it to go with them unto Tarshish from the presence of the Lord. But the Lord sent out a great wind onto the sea, and there was a mighty tempest in the sea, so that the ship was like to be broken. Then the mariners were afraid and cried every man unto his God and cast forth the wares that were in the ship into the sea to lighten it of them. But Jonah was gone down into the sides of the ship, and he lay and was fast asleep. So the shipmaster came to him and said unto him, What meanest thou, O sleeper? Arise, call upon thy God, if so be that God will think upon us that we perish not. And they said every one to his fellow, Come and let us cast lots, that we may know for whose cause this evil is upon us. So they cast lots, and the lot fell upon Jonah. Then said they unto him, Tell us, we pray thee, for whose cause this evil is upon us. What is thine occupation? Whence comest thou? What is thy country? And of what people art thou? And he said unto them, I am an Hebrew, and I fear the Lord, the God of heaven, which hath made the sea and the dry land. Then were the men exceedingly afraid and said unto him, Why hast thou done this? For the men knew that he fled from the presence of the Lord because... He had told them. All right. <clears throat> first 10 verses of the first chapter of the book of Jonah. So verse four, you ready for this? Do you know that the weather is used by God for his will? Now, we know the Bible says that the sun shines on the righteous and the unrighteous and the rain falls on the just and the unjust. Sometimes it just rains. Sometimes the sun shines. But what do we most often do when we have plans and want a sunny day and it rains? Yeah, Joe, that's it. We complain. And we have to remember that there's a chance that God is using that weather for his glory, for his good and for your good. Something that I remember, and, and you all know that I'm self-employed, and I put out bids for this job or that job, and once in a while, I'm like, man, this looks like a great job. I think I'm going to have a good chance to make good money, and it just falls apart, and it's like, yep, I'm not getting that one, and that used to really bother me, and then I started to remember. I'm like, you know what? If God wanted me to have that job, I'd have had that job. Now, maybe I'm the one that messed it up, and that's certainly possible, but I got to remember that everything that I think is bad news isn't bad news. Sometimes bad news is bad news. Other times, it just didn't go the way I wanted. God has a plan, and God's doing something, and that even has to do with the weather. Now, if you've been in an airport that shut down because of a blizzard, you're not going to remember this message and be grateful that God is directing your path. That's not going to be your thought. Because sleeping in an airport in Sacramento for two days because flights were canceled just isn't fun. And I know that from personal experience. <laughs> but just remember, God uses the weather for his will. Okay. Psalm 48, verse 7. These are the verses we're going to be going over today that are not in the book of Jonah. The first one is Psalm 48, verse 7. We read, Thou breakest the ships of Tarshish with an east wind. Now, God brings this up 
because the ships of Tarshish are talked about both in Isaiah and in Ezekiel as objects of power and might. These are great ships that went a long way. And breaking up the ships of Tarshish was an example of God's power, because God even breaks up these giant ships. To do this, the storm was massive. When we read about this storm, we're going to find out that there are many, many clues explaining just how scary this storm was. In verse 5, verse 5 explains several things. The size of the storm. It's the first thing. Who was afraid? The mariners. Okay, what's a mariner? That's right, it's a sailor. Understand, these were not just people that happened to be on a sailboat. These are professional sailors. It takes a lot for them to be scared when they're on a ship. That's their life. Joe. Absolutely. Yep, little G. And we're going to get to that. And that is important to notice because of how the chapter ends. So we are told that this storm was massive because professional sailors were scared. Okay, a second thing that, that verse 5 tells us is that this was a merchant vessel. How do we know that? My point is this was not a passenger ship. This wasn't a ship to take lots of people somewhere. Passenger ships and cargo ships are different. This was a cargo ship. How do we know that? Okay, what were they throwing overboard? Okay, so they were throwing manufactured goods that were for sale. Okay, they were throwing their wares overboard. That's what it is. Those are goods that they picked up somewhere. They were bringing somewhere else in order to sell. This was a money-making venture. This is what these guys did for a living. They brought things from one faraway place to another place, import and export. That's what we still do today. <clears throat> so this was a cargo ship. Now, why is that, why is that pertinent to this story and to the man Jonah. Well, he did. He really ruined these. Well, we're going to see. He really messed up their, their voyage. Absolutely. But let me ask you. Okay, so and I, don't, I, I brought this. So this is Joppa. Okay, so that's where they sailed out of. Okay, he came down from Galilee and went to Joppa and then took off for Tarshish. Now, it was. Why does it matter that it was a cargo ship that he got on? Okay, let me ask you this. If you had to get on a ship for weeks, would you get on a cargo ship? Would you take your wife 
and kids on a cargo ship? Of course not. There's no room service on a cargo ship. There's no chef making you food. There's no one turning over the beds and cleaning the sheets. There's none of that. Sailors are sailors. You're not dealing with people who are hired to make you comfortable. The point is, Jonah wanted to get out of there. He found the first ship going to the furthest place, and he said, I'll, I'll take it. How much? And he got on board. If you were going someplace and you were going to spend a couple weeks on a ship, you, oh, uh, in two days, there's going to be a nice passenger vessel and I can tell you my dietary requirements. All right, I'll take that. I'll just hold up in the hotel here for a few days and we'll do that one. Is the pool nice? Right? That's what you would do. He wanted out of there. He was running from God. I don't care. What is it? Okay, great. I'll take that one. All right. The merchants casting their wares into the sea also goes to show just how scared they were. You don't start dumping valuable items overboard until you are convinced you are going to die. Yep. You're at a point where you need to lighten the ship, and if it's not nailed down or on fire, it is going over the side. Okay, there is nothing that is valuable to you at that point because you are convinced you are going to die. Now, understand, profitability is not even what you're throwing overboard. You're going to be at a massive loss. You go over here and you buy a bunch of stuff and fill up that boat, then you transport it and sell it. You're in the hole until you sell that stuff. They didn't care because they were convinced they were going to die. <clears throat> now, what did they start to do? Let's see. They cried every man unto his God, little g. This attitude eludes so many Christians today. They saw this storm come up out of nowhere. We're going to find out that they believed it was a supernatural one. They knew they were going to die. So what did they do? They went straight to praying. Now, they prayed to some pagan gods, little G, that, you know, weren't going to hear them. But the fact is, what was their reaction? We need, to, we need God to fix this. You would be amazed how many times Christians will be in a real bad way, and it will never dawn on them Hey, buddy, God's trying to get your attention. You're messing up, and God's trying to get your attention. He wants you. These guys, immediately, maybe there's a problem here. Maybe it's us. Let's call on God. That was their first thought. The point is, these guys were spiritually 
minded. Let's go to God. Now, days of Jonah, the pagan merchants were more spiritually minded than the average entitled American Christian. The pagan sailors call on their God, and then Jonah is told to call on his God in verse 6. The pagan sailors fear God. Jonah says he fears God. This is the contrast God is trying to show us here. When things are going terribly wrong, we need to seek God and reconcile with God. Now, please understand, there are several reasons that something could go be going wrong or bad in the life of a Christian. One of those reasons could be that we are doing something wrong and God's trying to get our attention. That's only one of a dozen reasons why bad things happen in the lives of Christians. Please understand, I am not trying to say that every time you have a trial, you messed up and you need to get right with God. What I'm saying is that should be something that we look at to make sure we can cross that off the list. Even the pagan sailors were like, man, we need to get right with God here. Figure this thing out. Maybe it's not. Maybe we didn't do anything wrong. You got to remember. And, and <clears throat> I don't have time to get into the rabbit trail. And there's a list. The Bible makes a list of a dozen reasons that Christians go through trials. Only one of those reasons is you messing up. But my point is, it's something we should consider and look at. Okay. Verse five, what's Jonah doing? Sleeping. Jonah was not only asleep, he was fast asleep. What does that mean? Yeah. That kind of M sleep we all cherish when you're dreaming and you are just dead to the world, you're not hearing anything. I mean that really good sleep. Deep sleep. <laughs> Why do you think Jonah was fast asleep? Okay. Exhausted, mentally exhausted. Okay. Maybe mentally and physically because he's of the travel. I don't doubt that he is mentally and physically exhausted. Keep in mind, there's not one right answer to this. I mean, I'm going to give you one, but it doesn't mean it's right. Washington? God put him to sleep? Okay. Okay. So I, I am leaning towards what Karen and Joe are alluding to here. Jonah was secure in his rebellion against God. His conscience was no longer pestering him. He was at a point where he's like, I ran for several days across land. I got on this boat. I'm going as far from Nineveh as humanly possible. I got it made. I'm done. I'm out. God's not, not, not bothering me anymore. My conscience finally shut up. I can get some sleep. He was thinking about what he was going to do with his life. He said, you know, I always dreamed about opening a small coffee shop in the mountains somewhere. He was, right? He's thinking about 
what he's going to do with his life because he's not a prophet anymore. Now, I don't know if that's true, but that seems to be the case. There are some hints to show that this point right here is the epitome of his rebellion because pretty soon we're going to see him 180 and make a big change when God gets a hold of him, when God gets his attention. All right, verse six. Okay, so Louis, you know how we were talking before about when we read the Bible, I'm looking for certain words that stand out to me. So in verse five, fast asleep. He wasn't just asleep. He was fat. Yeah. So all those little words that don't need to be in there, those adjectives, those descriptive words, they're there for a reason to give, uh, to paint a picture and give us an idea. All right. Verse six. Let's see. Verse six. So the captain of the ship has an idea. What about the guy who's hitching a ride from us? I better go and check on him. Now, what is the shipmaster? Shipmaster's the captain. What's the captain's job? Joe? To keep order and focus and direction with his tasks for the ship part. Yeah, to, can we say command the ship? Yeah. Okay, so to command somebody else who's under him on the ship. He's the top guy. Okay, so Joe, does the captain of the ship ever run down into the hull of the ship during an emergency where they're concerned that the ship is going to come apart and everyone's going to die to check on one guy? No, no, they don't do that. Now he might tell someone, Hey, go check on this guy. See if he's still alive, but where's the captain, the captain. Now keep in mind, we're not talking about, you know, uh, (coughs) Karen and Joe and being in the Navy today. We're talking about, sailboats okay made of wood so the captain at this point is going to be up on the quarter deck and he's gonna yeah and he's gonna be barking orders and i don't know what those orders are okay i've seen plenty of movies but that's the best i could do i don't you know they have sails they need to they have hatches that need to be battened down and you know yeah okay there's a there's at least one mast okay in front of the quarter deck i did some research Anyone know what's behind the quarter deck just above it? No. No. Washington? The poop deck. Very good. You want to get a little kid laughing, (laughs) show him an old sailing ship. Okay. So anyway, um, the captain of the ship does not do that. He stays up on the deck. He commands the ship, especially in a storm. Uh, But the captain doesn't go down into the hull of the ship to check on one person. That's nonsense. That never happens. The Holy Spirit spoke to the captain, and that's why he went to find Jonah. The captain then delivers to Jonah a message from God. What does the captain say to Jonah? Yep. That's right. He says, wake up. And pray to your God. Do you realize that the captain is being a more effective prophet than Jonah is at this point? The captain obeyed the Holy Spirit, the leading he got. He went to this guy, which he would never do in real life. Okay, but he was pressured to go there and he gave him a message from God wake up and pray. 
Joe, what you got? Mm -hmm. It didn't work. Everyone else was praying. Nothing happened. Here we go. Okay. So we want to try to always give everybody a couple of takeaways, things that you can take away from this meeting and apply to your life so you can be a better Christian throughout the next week. So here's the first one. A spiritual Christian demonstrates a life that is a testimony to the non-believing world. A spiritual Christian demonstrates a life that is a testimony to the non-believing world and not the other way around. It is the job of the Christian to represent. Do you know one of the words that God uses in the Bible for us as far as who we are in relationship to him? Okay, we are light. That's good. And that's along the lines I'm talking about. Okay, you ready for this? Have you ever looked into, <clears throat> I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to give you an idea here, okay? You don't have to turn here, but in Exodus chapter 20, does anyone know what's listed in Exodus chapter 20? Ten Commandments. Ten Commandments. Bear with me. Verse number seven, thou shalt not take the name of the Lord thy God in vain, for the Lord will not hold him guiltless that taketh his name in vain. Commandment number three. I'm going to give you an idea. I do not believe that that in any way is talking about using God's name as a curse word. Now, you are not supposed to use God's name as a curse word. Taking the Lord's name in vain has to do with being an ambassador. We are a representative of the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. We are a representative of the Lord Jesus Christ. You get a job as an ambassador, go to another country. There's an embassy, and you are in charge. And who do you represent? You represent the United States of America. And ambassadors are supposed to look and act like a professional because you are the face of someone bigger and more powerful and more important than you that sent you to represent them. The Bible talks about the Christian being an ambassador for him. And we are not supposed to take that relationship lightly. That is taking the name of the Lord in vain. It is being flippant about who we are and who we represent. Now, please understand, I am not trying to say that using God's name as a curse word is okay. The Bible talks about that in many other places. But I think that is a surface level reading of the third commandment, which is totally legitimate. But I think what it has to do with is who we represent. I saw a hand up for a question. Oh, okay. Do you want to still jump in with it? Yeah. 
You got it. Whoever you work for, it's the same thing. You represent the company. Okay, that's that's the idea. All right, that, that's a rabbit trail. That one there, is, that one's free. Okay, so let's see where we were at. Where were we at? Oh, okay, so yeah. Uh, the parallels of Jesus and the disciples. Tell me what you mean, Nick. Uh, with Jesus, well, as far as, well, how about this? We are going to compare Jonah to some people in the New Testament pretty soon, but I've never thought about it as far as, you know, Jesus yeah. Not the exact same thing. So Jonah is asleep under the ship, and they come to him, and they're like, you're supposed to be awake and praying right now. In the same way, Jesus goes to the disciples in the garden of Gethsemane prior to him being taken away, and he's like, wake up and pray. That story? No, I was just Oh, when Jesus was asleep on the boat. Okay, sorry. So we're on a boat, not in a garden in the New Testament. Yeah, I clearly I haven't thought it through. <laughs> so, <laughs> anything to it? Okay, we're gonna we're gonna let me get let me circle back to that. See if I can put something together for you. Okay, okay, I can do that. I'm preaching. This will be good. Okay, so remember. Uh, a spiritual Christian demonstrates a life that is a testimony to the non-believing world. Is Jonah an example of that? No. Jonah is a perfect example of how not to act as a Christian. Jonah is a train wreck. Okay? Verse 7. Now, in verse 7, the way the Bible reads, to me, it seems like everyone gets together, and as they're talking, they all come to a consensus. What does everyone on the boat, what do they conclude? What do they come to? Moses? Okay. Um, well, what they come to is that they decide they need to figure out who's the problem. Okay, they didn't decide Jonah was the problem. There's a second thing that they recognize that they all come to. There's one word that stands out in this verse. Evil. What does that imply? Maybe. I like the way you're going, but um, what is it? What are they talking about? When they say evil, what are they referring to? They're referring to the storm. Why are they calling the storm evil? When storms happen here, do you ever say, hey, sweetie, look outside. It's evil. It's supernatural. Thank you, Joe. That's right. We have a second, Joe. He's ahead of you with answers. <laughs> the storm is supernatural. They conclude that the storm is supernatural in origin. And they, need, they decide that they need to figure out which person on the ship is the problem. How do they do that? 
They cast lots. What does that mean? Washington. Okay, so you're talking about drawing straws, rolling dice, a coin, rock, paper, scissors, ninja, monkey, gunfighter, whatever it is that you choose to do to, you know, stay away from fighting with your brothers and sisters over who gets the last cookie. Okay, that's what they're going to do. They're going to cast lots. Now, my question for you is this, is casting lots an acceptable biblical practice? Sure is. They do it all the time. And I'm just going to run through these for the sake of the recording, but you can go back and look them up later. You have the sin of Achan in Joshua chapter 7, which is about the spoils of Jericho. You have the division of the land in Joshua chapter 15, how they're going to divide up the land for the 12 tribes. You have the assigning of the inhabitants in Numbers 26. You have selecting men for the expedition in Judges uh, chapters 1 and you have the electing of a king in 1 Samuel 10, when Samuel is selecting King David. You have Matt, uh, Matthias in Acts chapter 1, selecting the 13th apostle. Why did they need a 13th apostle? Because one of them died. He went out and hung himself after he um, betrayed Jesus. Uh, you have the two goats, the scapegoat, official goat in Leviticus 16. They were casting lots all the time did the casting of lots cease in the Bible? Not at the crucifixion. Thirteenth disciple was after the crucifixion. When did the casting of lots cease? You're close. You're 50, 47 days off? For 50, <laughs> or 53 days off? Yeah. So <clears throat> it was at Pentecost. Pentecost is it. There's no mention of lots in the Bible after Pentecost. Now, now, what you want to draw from that is up to you. I'm just giving you the facts on that one. So how about this for a question? What does the use of casting lots throughout the Bible imply? Yes, it is spiritually driven. God is in charge of the lots. Now, I don't know if we can draw that out to a craps table in Las Vegas, okay? But I think they clearly say, we, yeah, <laughs> we should give it a go. We don't know the answer. We have two decisions to make. We don't know which way God wants us to go. I'm going to flip a coin, or so to speak. All right, in verse 7, the last thing we need to notice in verse 7, the lot fell upon Jonah. Yeah. Oh man! The whole time I imagine Jonah thinking, you know, they're like, "Hey, should we do it this way, or you know, should we do it this way?" And Jonah's just like, "Just get it over with. It doesn't matter what you do, you know." Yeah, I'll just raise my hand. You know, he knew. I mean, he knew, and they seemed like they were getting there on their own. All right, verse 8, the sailors have five questions for Jonah. Why is this storm upon us? 
what do you do for a living? Where are you coming from? Meaning what's the nature of your business on this boat and going to Tarshish? What country do you come from? And what is your nationality? So they play a short game of 20 questions. They want to know what's up. They're like, all right, we, we cast lots. It fell on you. And now we need some answers. So what is Jonah's state of mind here? What is Jonah thinking? Where do you think Jonah is? <laughs> yeah. So follow me here. <clears throat> now I'm going to just draw a picture and I'm going to make this up as we go. I probably should have thought through this a little further before we, uh, okay, before we got here. So we have a cycle that we go through when we are fleeing from God, we're running from God. Okay, so we have a point where we are in sin. And we are running from God. We don't care about what is right and wrong. We are rebelling, and we don't want to hear from God. All right? Then we have a point of conviction, and that's when God starts getting back in. God starts working in through the cracks in our heart, and the Holy Spirit starts putting on the pressure and, and putting on the squeeze. What comes after conviction? Okay, I like it. Repentance. And we're going to talk about that. Yep. Okay, repentance is when we have accepted that we are going in the wrong direction and we need to change something. We are, we are changing our mind. We're changing our attitude. We're changing our direction. Okay, we got to get back with God. Okay, and then we're going to, what, what do we want to call the last state? Yeah, but that's what God does. I'm just thinking about Jonah. So, so, so no, no, no. So, <clears throat> okay, so, so, and uh, we could break this down, even though I'm putting four points on this wheel, we could easily break it into eight. And Amber, what you're talking about, I want to get back to. But let's, uh, okay, let's call this, okay, walking with God. Okay, we repented, we're done with that sin, we're walking with God again. Okay, and then we're going to get somewhere in here, we're going to get apathy, that's going to lead to sin. Uh, with sin, we're going to have a hard heart and we're going to have arrogance, right? Then God's going to work in. We're going to have conviction. Okay, so we, I mean, like I said, I'm making this up as we go. So don't, you know, it's not a, I'm not making this into a handout, not yet. But understand, it, is this fair to say that this is where the Christian goes through and this is also where Jonah is going through? Okay, so what point on this little wheel do we think Jonah is at? In verse 9, what's his state of mind here? Okay, so <clears throat> what do you think? What's that? Joe thinks conviction. Okay, so... Um, I like that. So conviction is going to bring remorse. Okay. We can also put acceptance here. Okay. Okay. So I am going to say that in verse nine, we are still up here in the arrogance state. Okay. So let me make my case and you guys can tell me I'm wrong. <clears throat> I think Jonah is arrogant in his admission of being a Hebrew. 
Why? What in verse 9 gives me that idea? I'll give you a second. Okay. So what's wrong with that, Nick? He doesn't fear the Lord. He's lying. Does he fear the Lord? He's on a boat sailing away from God. He doesn't fear the Lord. And they know it because we find out before verse 10 that he told them so. So I think when he said, I'm a Hebrew, I think he had his nose up in the air. I think he was getting salt water down his nose when he said that. The next words out of his mouth are a lie, and I fear the Lord. No, he doesn't. He doesn't. Then Jonah says who the Lord is. He states that God created heaven, the land, and the sea. Why is that relevant? He knew God was making the storm. Who is he talking to, Deb? Okay, the captain. Who's the captain? What do we know about the captain? We don't know much, but we know one thing. The captain and the crew. Who do they? They're pagans. Do you know that they all have a different God for each one of those things? The sea, the land, and heaven, they have different gods. The Romans had different gods. The Greeks had different gods. They're all polytheistic. Yeah. Yeah. I'm a Hebrew. I worship the, the one true God, the one better than yours. I still think he is being arrogant. Now, we're going to see that change because, like I said, he's still lying to them at that point. If he's lying to them, who else is he lying to? Himself. He is not ready to submit to God yet. <clears throat> now, remember, Jonah was fast asleep. Jonah was completely comfortable in his rebellion. He didn't care about his bad attitude. In our house, we call it a bad attitude. He lied, and he was rude to the sailors. Verse 10. When the sailors asked Jonah, what have you done? It was really more of an exclamation of horror at Jonah's disobedience than a question of inquiry. When we read verse 10, the pagan sailors seem to grasp the seriousness of disobedience more than Jonah the prophet did. Now, it may seem strange that Jonah claimed to worship his God when he did not obey him. Look at verse 10. Then were the men exceedingly afraid and said unto him, Why hast thou done this? For the men knew that he fled from the presence of the Lord. Well, how did they know that? Because he had told them. Wouldn't it seem strange to these pagans 
when Jonah claimed to worship his God, when they are on a boat watching him disobey him, he said, I'm fleeing from God. That's what he told these guys. And in the same breath, he said, I'm a Hebrew. I'm a Hebrew and I fear the Lord. Joe? Joe? I'm not sure about that. What what says? What? Oh, in the notes. Yeah, well, didn't write the notes. God wrote the text. <laughs> okay, here, here's the reason. Okay, the reason why is Jonah did not go with a message of you need to repent. His message was what? That's right. This many days and you're dead. Jonah wasn't going there with a message of you need to get right. That's what he would normally preach to the nation of Israel when they were wrong. But it says nowhere in this book that he was bringing them a message to get right with God. All he ever said was, This many days, host. Absolutely. And okay, can we let's let's talk about this. Jonah, because we didn't even bring this up yet. Jonah was a prophet. Did Jonah know other prophets? How do we know that? He had to go into some sort of training. That's right. The Bible in many areas talks about the school of the prophets. Goes over that many times. Look up, go ahead and get into a concordance and look up the phrase, the school of the prophets. It is all over the Old Testament. There was an academy where the older prophets would teach the younger prophets, they would figure out who was gifted by God to be a prophet, and they trained against what false prophets were. So they took this whole idea seriously. So the prophets knew each other. They had an alumni system where, oh, okay, you know, so-and-so has been a prophet out on his own for 20 years. We're going to have him come back and teach one of the newer prophets. Who was Samuel under the tutelage of? Eli. Read about this all over the Bible. Okay. So if all the prophets know each other, and they might not all know each other, because understand, some are prophets to the Gentiles, some are prophets to the Southern Kingdom, some are prophets to the Northern Kingdom. So, And obviously, they're all separated by generations. But all the prophets, at a minimum, know of each other. And that means they also know of each other's fate. And more often than not, what is the fate of a prophet? Death by whom? Yes. 
More often than not, prophets are killed by those they give the message to. There's a whole parable about it in the New Testament with the the husbandman and the vineyard and it's let out. And anyway, I'm not going to get it where I'm already in the weeds. So the idea that Jonah was scared to death of going to Nineveh and giving them such bleak news makes sense. The Ninevites killed people for sport. They didn't care about killing people. They killed everybody. They were a violent, bloody city. And the the prophets were often killed by the Jews when they would go and give them a message that wasn't well-received. So Jonah's thinking, and keep in mind, this is his first time being told to go to Nineveh. And not only that, as far as the Bible records, it's the first prophet to ever be told to go to Nineveh. All the prophets were always used to preach to the nation of Israel. There are only three prophets in the whole Bible that we find that that have a book that were told to preach to someone other than the nation of Israel, Jonah, Obadiah, and Nahum, and Jonah was the first. Joe, come on in. So then Jonah really didn't believe that his God would keep him safe. Probably. That's the conclusion I have to draw, that Jonah did not trust and have faith in his own God that he would keep him safe. He was so convinced of that, that it was a safer bet to try to run away from God than to obey God. Yep. Okay. Now, okay. (laughs) Either way, there's plenty of ideas for discussion. Okay, and some of these questions I don't know the answer to, and I don't think I can find a concrete answer. So it leaves us to conjecture. But what we do is we go through and dig up all the hints that we can find in the verses, and we try to figure out what the story was. And that's the best we can do sometimes. Let's move on. Yeah, it's food for thought. Okay, gives you something to bring up to the old guys for breakfast, Joe, and chit chat with that. Get their get their idea. All right, let's see where we are. Uh, verse eight, verse nine, verse ten. The pagan sailors seem to grasp the seriousness of the of the disobedience of Jonah more than he did, and it seemed strange to the pagans that Jonah claimed to worship God when he did not obey God. You ready for takeaway number two? A life that is growing spiritually shows consistency between what we say and what we do. This will always be the hardest thing for every Christian in their life. And this will always be the easiest thing for a non-believer to point out about a believer and the reason that they don't want anything to do with God. Well, this person believes this, but they don't live like that. Yeah. Well, the whole hypocrisy card, let's face it, it's a, it's a cheap shot. Okay, and realistically, the unbelieving world 
doesn't hold anyone else in the world to that standard. Okay, just because they saw the guy that works at McDonald's eating a hamburger from Burger King on his lunch break doesn't mean they're going to stop going to McDonald's, even though that guy's a hypocrite. Okay, it's an easy attack to throw out. The point is, we are supposed to, as Christians, do our best with the power of God and the leading of the Holy Spirit to live what we preach. At least not to say one thing and then explain how we're not doing it in the same breath, which is what Jonah was doing. Now, why is it so important that the Christian acts out what they believe? The answer is because in our life, we will meet somebody, and the only Bible they will ever get is your life. That's it. They'll see John 3.16 held up on a piece of poster board at the Super Bowl. But the fact is, they're going to see you and your life, and that's going to be what they judge God on. It's not fair. It's not even reasonable. But that's the way of the world. So our job is to do our dead level best to represent God in a way that would make him proud. It's not going to happen all day, every day, but that is what we aspire to. Why were the, sail uh, why were the pagan sailors afraid? In verse 10, they realized what Jonah had done, and they realized the consequences of his actions. So they're in this trouble because of what this one guy did. So here is where Jonah's attitude changes for the first time. What does Jonah admit in verse 10? How did they know that? He told them. Jonah starts to recognize what he did and the trouble he is in. He admits that he was freeing from the Lord. Why do you think he was admitting that to the sailors? Why do you think Jonah told the sailors he was freeing from the Lord? Sorry, fleeing from the Lord. Okay. He was, well, if you wait till the next verse, I think that's a really good answer. So his conscience was getting to him. Okay. Okay. He was <laughs> Okay, they were they were scared at that news that he was fleeing from God. Okay, let me ask you this. What do you think Jonah thought was going to happen to him at that point? Isn't that reasonable? He thought he was going to die. Don't all the other sailors think they're going to die? And then he gets up there and he sees the storm. You have, to, you have to remember, how did these guys describe this storm? What did they say this storm was going to do? 
It was going to break apart the ship. This is a storm that none of us could imagine. We are talking about sun darkened out, waves crashing over the ship, taking on water, thunder and lightning, cats and dogs living together, mass hysteria. They scared death. And when Jonah got up on the deck, he thought he was going to die too. And his conscience was getting to him and he wanted some relief. Confession is good for the soul. Yeah. He wanted to get that off his chest. Okay. Let's read. Oh man. I have three minutes to get through the next six verses. Who thinks I can do it? (laughs) Okay. Let's, well, and there's one point I really want to get to that I was excited about. I know I'm not going to do it. That's all right. Let's read verse 11 to the end of the end of the chapter. Let's do that. Then said they unto him, what shall we do unto thee that the sea may be calm unto us? For the sea wrought and was tempestuous. And he said unto them, take me up and cast me forth into the sea so shall the sea be calm unto you, for I know that for my sake this great tempest is upon you. Nevertheless, the men rode hard to bring it to the land, but they could not, for the sea wrought and was tempestuous against them. Wherefore they cried unto the Lord and said, We beseech thee, O Lord, we beseech thee, let us not perish for this man's life and lay not upon us innocent blood. For thou, O Lord, hast done as it pleased thee. So they took up Jonah and cast him forth into the sea, and the sea ceased from her raging. Then the men feared the Lord exceedingly and offered a sacrifice unto the Lord and made vows. Now the Lord had prepared a great fish to swallow up Jonah, and Jonah was in the belly of the fish three days and three nights. Okay, so let's get into verse 11, and we'll keep going for a little bit few more minutes. We'll get through a few more verses. What does verse 11 imply? Okay, they asked him what to do. Okay, the sailors uh, asked Jonah what to do so the sea will be calm. Uh, What does that imply? It's a point we already made, but it's, it's worth mentioning again what's that they believe in the god of jonah okay i'm going to back up one step and say that the sailors clearly believe that the storm was supernatural in origin because what are they looking for as far as the solution they're looking for a supernatural solution that's what they're asking well you're the you're the one that worships this god what do we do what's going to make them happy Right. That's what that's where they're at as far as. okay. so uh, they believe it can be appeased if they obey God. They just don't know how to obey God. They don't know what God wants and what God wants them to do. So they're asking Jonah, tell us what to do to make God happy. So in verse 12. Jonah's answer to their question really shows me that he was coming to terms with the consequences of his actions. 
Jonah accepted his disobedience, the supernatural storm, and the requirement to appease the wrath of God. So if we had to sum up in one word what appeases the wrath of God, what would that word be? Throughout the whole Bible, obedience, confession, repentance. I like them all. That's what God wants. We're running from the will of God. God wants us to repent. We need to stop that and change our mind. Okay, We need to get back on track with God. That's what God wants. To obey is better than sacrifice. It's what God wants. He wants us doing his will, not ours. So Jonah is now at the point where he is accepting his situation. He's under conviction, and he is making a change. And he is making a change that is so drastic. And when you repent, that's your change in your mind. I got to give this up. I hear you loud and clear, God. I get it. I'm sorry. Let's get back on track. I'm going to do it your way. What typically follows a change of heart, a change of mind when you are repenting, when you're turning from God or turning back to God? What usually follows that? Yeah. It, you see action, right? And boy, does Jonah show us that he is serious about his change of heart. What does he tell the sailors? Throw me in the sea. Now, what did Jonah think would happen to him? He thought he was going to die. And now he's saying, throw me in the sea. What is he thinking? Yeah, it's right now. Oh, you got to remember, there's a difference between Jonah and the crew. Jonah was convinced that this was his fate. Now, as far as what God does for these fellas, well, hopefully God's kind and merciful to you. Okay, but as for me, I've been fleeing from God. I've been covering my ears. I've been in disobedience. I'm, t I'm in trouble. Uh-huh. So where was Jonah supposed to go? Nineveh, northeast. Where'd Jonah go? Okay, so, uh, southwest and then hard west across the Mediterranean. He was going in the exact opposite direction. He needed to get off of that boat in order to obey God. I can't be on this boat. This boat's going in the wrong direction. God wants me going over there. I have to get off of this boat. Throwing me off is just fine. We're going to get there, but we're a chapter away from that. Yep. Jonah tells the sailors to throw him off. When, the, when they do, the sea will be calm. Now, last takeaway. We're, gonna, we're not going to get into verse 13. I just want to finish this point, which will take a minute, so forgive me, but... 
Last takeaway for us, a spiritual Christian life will result in changing your mind and then changing your actions to line up with the will of God. A spiritual Christian life will result in changing your mind and then changing your actions to line up with the will of God. The disobedient, rebellious, arrogant Christian in sin is the one that doesn't care what God says. The spiritual Christian life is the one that when we're reading our Bible and we come across something that flies in the face of how we're living our life, we're like, wow. That's talking about me. I got to change that. And then we do. God talks about this throughout the Bible, and we're going to see a verse here in a second in the New Testament that just makes God so happy. So when Jonah suggests throwing himself into the sea, what does Jonah become? Oh, we already said he's, he's repentant. What's that? A sacrifice for who? Could we say for everybody? Is that when Jonah decided, throw me in the sea, did he become a sacrifice for everybody there? So, what does that make Jonah? Jonah is a type of, he's a type of Christ. Jonah is a type of Messiah, the one man who offered himself to die in order to save everyone. Isn't that what Jonah's doing here? Jonah is a picture of Christ in many ways. Obviously, the three days and three nights, you know, I mean, that, that one teaches itself. Okay, but Jonah, and Jonah recommends it. He says, nope, I know what I have to do to obey God. I must die so that all of you may live. Now, a true Christian will obey God even though it will lead to difficulties in their life. This is the big, hard lesson to swallow. A true Christian will obey God even though it will lead to difficulties in their life. And this is the point that I want to... This is supposed to be the middle of the message, but it's going to be the end because <laughs> we're, we're too far along. Okay, think about this. There is no country in the world that is more accepting of Christianity than ours. Now, we could make arguments. Maybe there are. But let's face it. When we start looking around the world, okay, in Canada today, I would have been thrown in prison a dozen times over for simply reading certain portions of the Bible that condemn certain sin. In Saudi Arabia, Bibles are illegal. In Belarus, your pastor disappears and your church is bulldozed. You just show up one Sunday morning, it's gone. And then your pastor shows up six months later, but he's missing three fingers because he refused to give up your name and address. And that's not hyperbole. That's my friend who's a missionary over there telling me the way it goes. We don't face any of that. 
When we stand up for Jesus, what do we face? Mild embarrassment from our family and friends and co-workers. Has anyone here ever been threatened under pains of death for their Christianity? No. Now, I understand there are some more serious cases. Some people have lost their jobs. And, you know, we read about things in the news. And don't get me wrong. There are still people that do not like Christ here and do not like the Bible. And I understand that. Okay, but the American Christian should obey God, even though it will lead to difficulties in their life, because it is the right thing to do. And Jesus smiles down upon us when we obey. And there is never going to be an easier time in your life than today to obey Christ. It's not getting easier as the years go on. It will get worse. But this is still, I can't think of a better place to live. In John 14, 23, Jesus answered and said unto him, If a man love me, he will keep my words, and my Father will love him. That verse is such a great verse. It is God giving you a high five. He says, I know you love me, and I love you too. Because he keeps the words of God. He obeys God. In Luke 6, 46, we read, And why call ye me Lord, Lord, and do not the things which I say? Another way of saying that verse, another way it could be written is, if you're not going to do what I say, then stop calling me Lord. There is no place on earth and there is no time in history when it is easier to obey God than right now in this country. We must take serious the idea of when God gets our attention with something that he wants us to stop doing or start doing, we have to go to God and say, okay, God, sounds good. Me overboard. I know this isn't going to be easy. I know this is going to be embarrassing. I know that I'm going to have to explain what I'm doing to my friends and family, and I'm going to have, I don't even want to have that conversation. I'm tired of being a weirdo. But okay, God, I'm, I'll do it. I'll be a weirdo for Jesus. You died on the cross for me. Least I can do is what you're telling me here. You know, let's do it. Do you think Jonah was excited to get thrown overboard? Was he celebrating? Was he smiling? He wasn't happy. He did it. That's the takeaway. Not that it was fun or exciting or he looked forward to whatever was coming next. He recognized, I'm running from God. I'm going in the wrong direction. I need to stop now. This is... This is affecting the lives of everybody. It ends now. Boom. Throw me over the boat. You you don't have to do it joyfully. (laughs) Do you care if your kids like what you tell them to do? No. You care that they do it because it's good for them and you know better. That's the relationship with God. Would you prefer that they were singing while they clean their room? Sure, but I'll take it if they're miserable 
how they do it because it's their job and it's good for them not to live in filth. So we're going to be fine with that. It's the same with us and God. I would be thrilled if we all just loved it every time we saw something from the word of God that we needed to change in our life. We're like, woohoo! But I'll take it if we just obey God because we know it's right. We know who he is. We know who we are. And we say, God, good enough. I don't even care if I understand it. I'm just going to do it. How much would you love to hear that from your child? You know what, dad? I love you. And I know that you love me. And because of that, I'm going to do what you say. I don't understand it. I really don't like it. But I'm going to do it because I know that you know better and that you love me. How much would you love to hear that? (laughs) Think of how much God would love to hear that from his kids. That's the idea. Jonah wasn't excited to go over the side of the ship, but he was willing to do it because he knew he had to get right with God. All right. Good evening. Nick, would you close us with a word of prayer and we'll get out of here.